This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 187 here in the Den. Nick Max and Noah Grant alongside uh, recording here on Sunday evening, November 12th, show release upcoming on the 14th so nick recapping the weekend here of action um on the women's side there wasn't a whole lot to talk about because there was only one wchas game this week and it was actually a non-conference matchup it didn't even count as far as uh conference standings or anything like that so we'll dive into that we'll probably take a brief glance because of that at non nchc stuff on the men's side just a quick look at some of the standings for some of the other uh conferences because we don't get to do that a a ton here on the show so we'll take a look at that and then we'll move into another really great weekend on the men's side for st cloud men's hockey i can't wait to dive into it a very strong showing on the road so as always we start with center ice view news and notes presented by huskiesillustrated.com and the soda pot Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. In episode 187, Nick Max and Noah Grant. Nick, uh, women's hockey off this week, as was pretty much the entirety of the WCHA, everybody kind of getting a breather. Uh, the only actual contest that happened uh, was a non conference game, St. Thomas beating Mankato 4 to 1, which would have been nice because uh, for both of those squads, they are still winless as far as conference play is concerned. So St. Thomas probably would have liked that notch uh, to be able to climb in the standings at least. A tiny bit but nonetheless uh, their non-conference schedule in general has bolstered them but their conference play has been uh, left a little bit to be desired unfortunately um, nothing really notable from women's hockey kind of going through some of the the lists here as scores were fairly par for the course uh, meanwhile St. Cloud State of course uh, nine and four on the season on the women's side they of course are coming off a two-game losing streak their first of the season they played the Badgers last weekend um, and they will actually get the aforementioned St. Thomas Tommy's uh, a home and home they'll be on the road on Friday and then back at home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center 1 p.m. Central Time on Saturday the 18th so keep an eye on that one as we move forward uh, 
Uh, of course, this Huskies team, uh, pairwise points percentage just under 700 this season. They've looked very, very good. Uh, if you want to be um, technical about it, they're in a very good spot as far as uh, polls and pairwise are concerned. Uh, actually, the poll is a little bit more favorable to St. Cloud. They have them at number 10. St. Cloud is 13th, according to the probably still too early pairwise on the women's side here. Uh, of course, Wisconsin and Ohio State rounding out the top two in some capacity. Actually, it's interesting. Wisconsin is, um, according to many, along with Ohio State, the number one and number two teams in the country. And yet Ohio State is two and Wisconsin is four in the pairwise. So that's kind of where I say, you know, we're maybe a little bit too early as far as the pairwise is concerned. The Gophers at four and five, Duluth at eight, respectively. Um and then uh, Matt, or excuse me, St. Thomas is actually at 17 in the pairwise on the women's side. We talked about how good their non-conference schedule has bolstered them early. Um, and then Mankato is on the outside looking in, still 18th uh, in in the national polls, which is interesting because in conference play, they have yet to win a game. They're 0-8 along with St. Thomas and Bemidji, so kind of an interesting little quirk there. But uh, yeah, Nick, I mean, the Huskies, 13th in the pairwise, 10 in the polls, uh, you kind of look at the pairwise Colgate is the number one team. I mean, they're 11 and one Wisconsin, 12 and oh um, Clarkson, 13, oh, and one. So some really great teams rounding out the top four gophers uh, capping off the top five. Um, it, we're what, what would we probably say a fourth of the way, a little over a fourth of the way into the season, give or take. Is there anything that you kind of pull out of the WCHA on the women's side and kind of looking overall at the national scope? I think the big thing that you take away from the WCHA is uh, number one, yeah, the coaches poll is is favoring a bit a top five in the WCHA versus I think what most fan bases shouldn't say fan bases, but most fans would have it as. Um, but I think if you're saying cloud, especially when we talked in the preseason, Noah, and you and you you think about where this team was and what the expectations were and, and what the potential could have been right. And I think so far and granted it's early, but at nine and four in the season, I think St. Cloud women's and their fans have got to be happy with where they're sitting. 10th in the 10th in the coaches poll. Yeah. The pairwise, as you mentioned, I think is still a little bit early in terms of it accurately reflecting where teams are actually at, but for St. Cloud, you are knocking on the doorstep of a home ice position in the WCHA, which was, I think, everyone's sort of measuring stick. Could they compete with the likes of Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, Wisconsin, right? Um, and so far, they have done that, albeit they did lose two to Wisconsin. But let's just say for those who watched the games, yes, it was, I think, two, two goal margins that they lost by. Um, the scoreboard certainly does not indicate the entirety of how the Huskies played against a top-ranked Wisconsin team, which I don't know how the heck they're not ranked number one in terms of the Parawise. Thus, your comment about how I think the Parawise is still yet to catch up with the coaches' poll. So um, at the end of it, you got five teams, uh, maybe six, that are in the top, what, 14, 15 in the country. I think that's accurate. The WCHA, as we've covered on this show over the course of the years is the best talented uh, women's college hockey conference in the nation and the polls and the pairwise at least somewhat are reflecting that. And I uh, wouldn't be shocking that if four, if not maybe more make it to the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, the Huskies almost 600 in terms of conference winning percentage as far as pair whites points percentage, basically uh, almost 700, seven out of every 10 games or of points available percentage wise for the pair wise. Um, the Huskies have taken care of business. A couple of the, you know, that early loss uh, non-conference wise, I think is a, a little bit damaging. But other than that, I mean, if you're St. Cloud, unless something absolutely catastrophic happens, the worst I feel like you're going to finish in the WCHA is five. I mean, it would have to take a pretty monumental implosion at this point. Um, for those who are curious, Wisconsin, Ohio State, uh, both 24, 23 points respectively. Duluth at 18, Minnesota and St. Cloud have a game in hand on the rest of the field. They've only played seven as opposed to eight for everybody else. Gophers at 16, St. Cloud at 12. All of those teams over a 500 winning percentage. Wisconsin, the only team in the country that has yet to lose a hockey game this season. Uh, 44 goals for eight goals against for them, a plus 36 goal differential. Contrast that with Bemidji State on the back end, who's dashed 37. They've only scored five. They've given up 42. So um, actually, so the Huskies, of course, um, they've got 18 conference goals for if you want to be technical about it, if you combine St. Thomas, Mankato, and Bemidji State, they have one less goals for seven, five, and five than the Huskies do on their own. So you can tell how six, seven, eight is really struggling, uh, unfortunately, on the women's side. Uh, Nick, before we get to uh, the men's side here like we normally do, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to take a look at some national scores like we normally do, and then before we get to the NCHC, we're going to talk about those non-NCHC conferences and just see if there's anything that kind of sticks out to us early. Um, big games going on, of course, in the Big Ten last week. Uh, Minnesota, uh, a couple of victories that uh, really, well, I should say, I guess, a victory and a shootout loss, I should say. Michigan winning in the shootout 3-2 the second night, but it was the Gophers who came back from 3-1 down were pretty outplayed in that first night. They end up winning 4-3 against Michigan. That's a big victory. The Huskies will see the Wolverines in a couple of weeks on the men's side. Arizona State beating Denver the other night, 6-5 in overtime. Denver responded with an 8-4 victory of their own on Saturday. So um, keeping an eye on that one. This uh, St. Thomas team, continues to roll. They're very good uh, victories against Bowling Green both nights. Mankato, pretty strong showing. Ferris State, not that good of a hockey team. Northern Michigan, Lake Superior. This was a very good series uh, in the CCHA this weekend. A couple of one and two goal hockey games, respectively, at Michigan Tech and Bemidji State, both uh, traded wins and ended up getting a split on the weekend. So uh, a lot of really great hockey games that happened this past weekend. Uh, it's really hard to get, like always, I, I, I almost don't want to even touch like hockey East a little bit in the ECAC because the picture is still just really difficult to kind of try to sift your way through and figure out what teams are, are kind of on the upshot, so to speak. But um, the team that was off this weekend, Nick, as we start to look at standings that, we've kind of talked about it is probably the real deal on the men's side here. And we didn't really know if that was going to be the case. Uh, we might as well start in the big 10 because that was arguably the best conference in non-conference play this season. Uh, topping the list at 12 points, four games played four and oh in conference play the Wisconsin Badgers, Nick, I, it's interesting. I had a, a conversation with Toro's head coach, Cody Campbell here this past week. And uh, he talked uh, to the coaching staff at Wisconsin and they said, we almost feel like we should probably be closer to 500, but we found a way to win some really close games. They're nine and one across their first 10 games overall as a club, Nick, uh, the best in the big 10 in both parameters, conference and non-conference. 
Is this Badgers team, do they feel like the team to beat right now in the country? Yeah. And I would think that the players and the coaching staff, although Mike Hastings, uh, the old Maverick head coach, right, for a number of years, um, that's such a cliche coach's answer when you know as a head coach that you have things that aren't perfect, which you're going to have in every single game, every slash weekend. Um, but when you play well, right, it, it's the adage of you have to be good to get lucky and you have to be lucky to be good, right? And I feel like Wisconsin probably, if they look inside themselves, feel like they've maybe gotten a few bounces. But, you know, you get those bounces because of a hard work, uh, dedication, and just doing things that, you know, the simple things right. And I think if there's one thing that Mike Hastings has been known for over the course of his coaching tenure has been to do those small things and to do them at a high level, right? It's about those subtle details. And I think when you take a look at this Wisconsin roster, right? And this is not a dig against uh, a former head coaching staff by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, Minnesota State head coach Mike Hastings comes over. Yes, he brings a couple of recruits, but largely that roster is a lot of the same guys, right? Um, and if, you know, side note, if you're a Wild fan, that first round pick for Strangle looks really bad right now. Um, really, really bad. In fact, yeah. he's been a healthy scratch in about half of their games. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, but, you know, to take a group that I think all of us, including ourselves on the podcast here, know a thought that, hey, this Wisconsin team should be playing better, right? And now it's almost like the pendulum has swung to the opposite side, right? Whereas maybe a year ago, maybe not doing things the right way. They're not getting the bounces. And this year, it's exactly the opposite, right? They're doing the things the right way. They're getting the bounces. And although Hastings might think, okay, we should be closer to 500, the good teams find ways and different ways weekend in and weekend out to pull off the Ws when they need them most. And so that is a scary team to go up against when you feel like you're not playing your best and you're still finding ways to win. Can you only imagine, Noah, when this team does feel like it's playing its best? Um, there's a reason why Wisconsin's in the top five, I believe, coming into tonight here on Sunday. They're ranked third, I think, in the pairwise. Uh, this team could be scary good a lot earlier than we thought it might be. And um, you have to really tip your caps to the coaching staff, including a former St. Cloud State coach, by the way, um, to bring in that program up from... Uh, where it was to back to relevance, which is good for all of college hockey, especially here in the Midwest. What a weird little roller coaster ride it's been if you've been a Badger fan, too, by the way. I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of been up and down as far as, you know, the way things have gone in that regard. Um, Wisconsin, of course, unbeaten in conference play, like I mentioned. The, the surprise early on, and of course, we're very early, so uh, hard to get a, a real good beat on this. One more victory has them in a much different spot. But the Minnesota Golden Gophers right now are in sixth in the conference in the Big Ten right now. Uh, the team below them is Ohio State, who's played two more games. Michigan, of course, has played two more as well. Uh, they have a regulation win and an overtime victory to the Wolverines as well as an OT loss as well. So they've kind of picked up points throughout their spread as far as getting to extra hockey if they're going to lose hockey games or be in games. But nonetheless, um, both of those teams, a 333 points percentage. The Gophers behind Penn State, who has looked not exactly stellar, still searching for their conference victory in regulation. Uh, Notre Dame and Michigan State uh, atop that list, but points respectively from the Badgers on down. Uh, 12, 10, 9, 6, 5, and then 4 is where the Gophers are at, and Ohio State has had an abysmal start, 0-5-1, um, or 1-5-1. 
oh, I guess I should say only two points for the Buckeyes as they've really struggled out of the gate in the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, does it does it feel like this Gophers team, are they going to be able to right the ship? Do you think they're going to be okay? Or do you kind of feel like maybe there is an undercurrent of, hmm, the Big Ten is going to be an interesting conference and Minnesota could be in a spot anywhere from maybe like four to five where they might have a bit of a tougher challenge trying to make their way through the field this year. So that's a great question. I think really to answer that, the great comparison that you have to look at is just, it's not that far away last year, right? And I'm not talking about the four group. I'm talking about the defensive core that they lost, right? Brock Faber, um, Jackson Lacombe, guys who were stay-at-home good defensemen that could keep the play in front of them, could really take away the middle of the ice for physical, uh, played well in front of their goaltender. Um, and we saw that early this season where a younger defensive core was put up against a four-check from North Dakota, a two-four-check uh, essentially in, the, in a, essentially transition-type play. And the Gopher young defensemen were having trouble with rating those two forwards up against them. That time and space they were taking away gave them a lot of fits. And so, you know, we can talk about talent all day long and there's no question the Gophers have it. The question is with, shall we say, not as strong as a defensive corps that they've had in the past couple of seasons. Um, This puts a lot more pressure on Justin Close, who I think is a solid goaltender, but you do wonder is Close the type of goalie that can steal you a hockey game, that can stand on his head. I'm not sure we know that answer yet, and I do feel like it is different for the Gophers just because of the experience and the depth they lost on their back end over this offseason. I know all the headlines centered around guys like Logan Cooley, per se. And again, that offensive uh, corpse that they have up front is nasty. They're powerful. They're talented. But let's not forget, it's a 200-foot game in the Big Ten. And if you can't win on both sides of the ice, you're going to have a tough time at cracking that top half of the Big Ten conference if you can't play well defensively. Yeah, it's kind of uh, difficult, too, that Justin Close in year number five hasn't necessarily been labeled as the consistent force, right? I think that that's kind of a big challenge for the Gophers as they move forward. Uh, On the other side of things, of course, the NCHC, one of the top half conferences in college hockey in their early non-conference schedule. The other was Hockey East, uh, a couple of really great teams coming out of there. They are definitely going to be a grouping to watch. There's no doubt about that. The question is, how good are they really? Will they pull two teams, three teams, four teams? Uh, who's going to come out of Hockey East when you have the Sweet 16 at the end of the year? Uh, Providence, no secret, they're atop their conference, uh, 8-1-2 and two on the season overall. BU, they've been okay. I, I don't know that they're the powerhouse out of the gate that people have written them as. They're certainly a top 16 team, I think, at this point, but they've had a bit of a rocky road, 6-3-1 and one, uh, in their first 10 games, which is not bad. I mean, you'll definitely take it, but they've had a couple of games where they really have – left some margin for error, so to speak. Um, yeah. the, the main Black Bears right behind them in conference standings, by the way, 6-1-1 one, and one in the season. Main, uh, an interesting victory last weekend as well, too. And then I would throw BC in the mix as well, too. Might be the other team right now that you would kind of want to keep an eye on. BC, NBU, Maine. Um, depending on what they do in their conference bracket and as they go through, it's kind of hard to get a read on them early, but they've started well. And Providence, of course, um, 
I mean, it, it, yeah, Quinnipiac, you got to keep your eye on them. Well, they're in the ECAC, so we'll get to them in a second. But still, East Coast, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the AC, ECAC did considerably worse over the course of their non-conference schedule. Uh, yes, Quinnipiac. Well, Quinnipiac, like you mentioned, seven three and one in the season. They are uh, atop the ECAC in conference play as well. Too Dartmouth having a good start um, conference wise, by the way, too, and not in terms of. I mean, they aren't running away early on, but in their five games that they've played, I mean, they're able to garner points. They've got two overtime victories and overtime lo- two overtime losses and a regulation win. So they're getting points across the board in every game they played conference-wise this year. Um, the other team I think to really kind of watch out for early on here is maybe Cornell. They had a great weekend against Duluth and 4-1-1 uh, and one to start the season in their six total contests. It's, again, Pretty early to try to get a read on them, uh, but at least pairwise, points percentage-wise, they've been looking all right. But the ECAC, um, if they pulled, I would say maybe two teams, I might be slightly surprised. Anything more, I would be kind of shocked. I don't think Quinnipiac is going to be in the mix this year. The question is, is is Dartmouth actually decent, or is Cornell going to be a team that's going to you know kind of rise up a little bit here too? I definitely think they have the ability. The question is, is Cornell's year going to be this year, or are they going to kind of have another year before they really start to kind of kind of refill, refilter and reset, yeah, with some of those young guys and good high-end NHL draft picks on that roster. Um, but yeah, Hockey East, I mean, could Hockey East pull four teams this year? I mean... It's possible, right? Um at the end of it, no, I thanks, no, thanks. Thanks for that advanced analytics answer there. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're the stats guy, so I don't want to steal your thunder because God forbid. Um, but no, you know, the non-conference schedules you mentioned has been a nightmare out east. Um, there's been comparisons of the Big Ten, the CCHA, and the NCHC versus the three bigger conferences out east. And let's just say it's not even close uh in terms of the records. But again, you know, when you get past the majority of the non-conference schedule, which most teams are now, right? And most of the teams will be done uh, essentially just after the holiday break. That's when it's pretty much all conference play. Um, You know, when you look at a team like Dartmouth, right? Where is this team really, you know, are they ready to make a run? We don't really know until we get to, shall we say, tournament time, honestly. Uh, Because in between now and then, it's a lot of teams that, A, they should beat. Right. Uh, to when you get to the big spotlight games in these conference tournament type games. Um, remember last year, all the chaos that surrounded some of those conferences out east, right? And you just never know. And, you know, the big question mark for a young team like Dartmouth is when those lights become brighter and when those games mean matter most. Um, can they step up to the plate and more so just treat it like a normal game and not let the moment get the most of them? Uh, so again, there's still a question that's still months away from being answered. Um, as we've talked about before, and as you mentioned, is the talent there? Absolutely. But again, it's about execution. It's about the emotions being level and sometimes a little bit of coaching here and there. So uh, we have months to figure it out. I still feel like there's a chance for it. Um, and as we've seen with the team that we're probably going to touch on here shortly is that Sometimes these early struggles can be a springboard to some greater things down the road and possibly to the other side of the coin with some of these teams that have started hot. Um, have they peaked at the wrong time? Have they not had the diversity? So you just never know. There's still a lot of hockey left to be played. Yeah, certainly is. Uh, for reference, by the way, if you don't count Stonehill as the 62nd team, Dartmouth was dead last in the pairwise last season, 524 and one. So it would be a much yep. welcome improvement for them entering the season, of course. Um, for them, they've already got two victories under their belt, three more, and they would 
uh, tie their record from last season. Uh, other conferences, as we look around, um, Atlantic Hockey, of course, RIT, um, Sacred Heart, Bentley, AIC, all kind of in the mix. I mean, really, everybody's not really out of it, but uh, RIT is kind of, and Sacred Heart have been the two teams to kind of watch out for. Seven and three on the season for RIT. Um, the, most most of these groupings have been about 500 in the top five, RIT, Sacred, Bentley, AIC, and Air Force, meaning those guys. Everybody else has really struggled uh, conference and non-conference wise. So, um, I mean, I would say as par for the course, unless something crazy happens, probably only one team coming out of Atlantic hockey, unless something really, really wild happens in the next couple of months. Um, and then on the other side of things, uh, before we get to our independent teams, the conference that it's anybody's guess, although it's becoming a little bit more clearer ish, but not really mostly because games played is all over the place. What we can tell you um uh, Conference-wise, Bowling Green struggled out of the gate this weekend. Ferris State is—that's oh, an understatement of the year. Yeah, Ferris, <laughs> Ferris State is probably not a good hockey team. No, um, Mankato. I would imagine they're going to still be in the mix this year. I mean, you they were—they were, were five hundred. I don't know how high up they're going to be. I would maybe say two or three is probably maybe a more probable landing spot for them maybe this season um lake superior um starting Much well better. out of the gate they've been exactly 500 throughout conference and non-conference this season michigan tech um yes. i don't i don't think they're going to be that strong to be honest with you they they kind of strike me as a five or six team in the conference this season uh northern michigan they had a terrible non-conference record but they started okay in the ccha right now so again they strike me as again being in that five to six four to six maybe um Bemidji State has looked okay. But They've been hot and cold. Yeah, very, very. Oh, if you're Katy Perry, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, uh, they've they've had games where you go, okay, this team has some elements that we don't normally see from Bemidji State. And the issue with the Beavers is their consistency, right? Um, the yeah. one game they look like they're uh, the team to beat in the CCHA, the next night, almost, sometimes you go, what the hell was that all about? Like, you know, where did that team from yesterday go? Uh, so Bemidji has the intangibles, uh, but they're also a young team, uh, Noah, and they're also uh, dealing with some injuries. More, more importantly, Matias Scholl, um, shall we say, and I, and I don't mean to call out uh, one player in particular, but let's say goaltending for Bemidji uh, is an issue right now with Matias Scholl out on injury. Um, it's it just, it, it, and again, with Tara, uh, Tom's territory system, you have to have a strong netminder, and that has been a bit of a question mark since Scholl went down with injury. So tough to see, but at the end of the day, uh, Bemidji State just lacks that consistency. If they were consistent, they'd be a pretty decent hockey team. Yeah, certainly would agree. Uh, like I said, Lake Superior, I think, is going to be in the mix this year. How high? I don't really know, but I, I think they're going to be in the mix. Mankato, we talked oh, about nice. them. Yeah, Mankato, I, I might even say three or four for Lake Superior, just kind of how they've started. Strength of schedule is going to be interesting, and that's where Mankato, they've only played one conference game, but the opponents they had non-conference-wise were really great tests, so they should be probably top three. Like I said, two or three at, at minimum. Um, St. Thomas, Nick. I, I mean, I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna say it's out of the question. I mean, they they're they're, they're a good hockey team. They could win the CCHA this year. Now we're extremely early, but boy, they played some really good opponents, and they've had a really great showing. They're four and two in conference play right now, and they're a top. Can I, let me add to that? Um, and mind you, what I'm about to say is going to trigger a lot of St. Thomas fans. Yes, they're a much improved team as we expect them to be, right? But 
I'm not 100% sold on St. Thomas, and here's why. The CCHA conference as a whole is not particularly strong. Um, so when you get past the non-conference, and mind you, they gave good teams fits. They nearly beat the Golfers. Um, again, they gave St. Cloud a run for their money. Uh, at the end of it, they're a much better team in your number three. We expected them to be good, um, especially with um, uh, Rico Blasi at the helm. But I'm not 100% sold on them from a national perspective. Um, I think that they're the beneficiaries of two things. One, in year three, their recruiting is finally starting to show its face. Their talents there. Um, again, year three under Blasi's system. You're seeing the progression. We've seen that a little by little year after year. So that was expected. But also, I think they're the beneficiary of a CCHA conference that is particularly weak this year. And this is not to take anything away from St. Thomas, but um, I do feel like there is a bit of caution, at least from my eyes, to say that they're a great team. They're a good team. Let's let's be straight. They're a good, they're a good team, but I have, I have yet to feel comfortable calling them great just because, again, uh, of the things I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Of course, they dropped both of those games against Bemidji State to start their conference play, and they've won four straight since. Uh, it'll be interesting. I would say the CCHA, uh, they might only get a team or two. Uh, come, I mean, they're, they're going to get one. They're going to get. They're going to get a team. At, you know, there could be a second that sneaks in if St. Thomas or Lake Superior has has a pretty good season for whatever reason. Uh, Mankato, I would throw them in the mix. I would say one of those three teams is probably in the mix. Um, Mankato probably historically the more likely one. But yeah, the this conference, a lot of teams are around 500, and that's about par for the course. I think if you get to a 600 winning percentage in the CCHA. Um, you're going to be okay because I think these teams are just going to kind of beat up on each other and kind of ebb and flow just a little bit. Uh, last grouping here, it's not a conference, but it is the ind- independent squads. Uh, a couple of teams to kind of note here. Um, Alaska Anchorage, by the way, they're five, six, and one in the season. They've been all right this year. Two teams that you really want to look out for, though. Uh, the Alaska Nanooks are six, three, and one. Of course, mm-hmm. they did beat our St. Cloud State Huskies. Um, they've been all right this year as well. The top dog right now is probably Arizona State, seven, two, and yep. one. They had a great showing against Denver last weekend. So, uh, a lot of things to really kind of look forward to uh, as we get ready for uh, the conference. Uh, and for them, the independent scale and see if one of them can maybe somehow make the big dance at the end of things would be super interesting, in my opinion. Uh, so moving over to what is our prototypical men's hockey coverage here, Nick. Now, um, as we move to the NCHC and taking a look at what's been going on in conference play, we finally got a few games under our belt as far as the NCHC is concerned, Nick. And uh there is one team that stands atop the NCHC. It probably wasn't a team that you would have initially expected because if you took non-conference records, they were dead last in so terms so of it. Phrase that at before any hockey was played. Sure, after some non-conference, no. <laughs> yeah, and now it, here we are. Yeah, it's been extremely interesting. So to recap, uh, this past weekend, Friday, November 3rd, uh, some non-conference, excuse me, not November 3rd, that is last week. Let's dial it in here. Uh, November 10th, uh, this past weekend, uh, CC uh, ended up beating Miami both nights, 5-1 on the first night. Second night was 4-1, so a 9-2 aggregate for the Tigers. A great response after kind of getting shelled in similar fashion against Denver last weekend. Um, 
First night, it was 3-2 Omaha beating Long Island. And then yesterday, it was an overtime victory for the Mavs against the Sharks. So Long Island, a very good showing against NCHC opponents. Uh, North Dakota uh, beating Minnesota Duluth 4-2 on the first night and 2-0 on the second night. A pair of two-goal victories for them. They were on the road at Amsoil Arena. So uh, the Fighting Hawks starting off strong, begrudgingly, we'll admit it. Uh, And then Denver uh, toe-to-toe, 6-5 loss in overtime in the first night. 8-4 was the victory uh, in Tempe, Arizona at the home of the Coyote. I mean, sorry, Sun Devils uh, in Excellent. that one. Oh, yeah. That's an NHL arena. Yeah. <laughs> So Arizona State, Denver, a very good matchup for them this past weekend. Uh, As far as conference standings are concerned, though, uh, you do have uh, St. Cloud State atop this grouping, partially because of games played, but they've won all four that they have played. We'll get to their weekend in just a moment, but they are at 12 points. North Dakota, Denver, and CC all at six points, respectively. Western Michigan has four points, of course. Don't forget, they have a single victory under their belt, and then they have an overtime loss to Omaha last weekend. Um, And then Omaha, of course, had an overtime victory. Those are their only two points of the season in the two games that they have played. Duluth has yet to find... Uh, a victory in conference play and and Miami, yeah, it is unfortunate. Winner a goaltender. Whoops. <laughs> well, and it, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate in the sense that Miami has really started to struggle after the really good start that they had. And it, it, you yeah. know, I, I know that we've talked about it every year. Where oh, you know, they'll kind of come back to earth, that sort of thing. But with that being said, uh, Miami was playing some opponents that were halfway as decent this year and you know they're four or five and one overall and they've lost their last four so they were four one and one entering nchc play so to drop your first four out of the gate and conference play i mean it's 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 almost a flip-flop of st cloud state where st cloud was coming yep. in almost reeling into conference play and now they've done the opposite of course they did beat miami uh that previous weekend and then on Friday, they travel to Kalamazoo for their first conference road action due to the Huskies. A 3-2 victory for St. Cloud. This one was a good one. Shots 25-24 in favor of St. Cloud. Dead even, 7 aside in the first period. 9-5 in favor of the Huskies in the second. 12-9 in favor of Western Michigan in period number 3. St. Cloud yet to find the back of the net on the power play in this night. 0-2 and then Western Michigan missing on their single opportunity, three combined penalties. Not often you really would say that necessarily in a St. Cloud Western Michigan game. So a very tight checking, lowly penalized game. Uh, St. Cloud was unfortunately somewhat abysmal in the faceoff dot 26 for 64. So that's got to be cleaned up. We talked about how that can be an advantage. Well, I guess St. Cloud decided possession would come after the faceoff apparently, and they made it count. Uh, Joe Cassetti on the board first, the only goal of period number one with two minutes remaining in the opening frame. Tim Washi, Hugh Larkin telling assist there. And then Barrett Hall, his third of the season, Nick, he continues yep. to roll Adam Ingram and Jack Rogers in the middle portion of the period. And Western Michigan, again, would grab the lead back. They did not trail, actually, until um, essentially period. Uh, yeah, a minute and a half after they took the lead in period number three. Jack Rogers, his first of the year. Kyler Kupka, Josh Lidke with assists at the 12-11 mark. And then 35 seconds later, Mason Reiners found Vieti Mietnin for his sixth. Yes, I'll say that again, his sixth of the season. And that was all the Huskies needed. Dominic Bassi stopping 22 of 24 uh, in the victory. And Nick, this was, this was an attendance of just under 4,000 that was on hand for this one. It's a hard place to enter in 
in Kalamazoo and try to get victories. This Western Michigan team is not a bad team. They had a really good non-conference schedule. You kind of felt that if the Huskies could come away with a split over the course of the weekend, it was a good weekend for them. I think it was really pivotal for St. Cloud to get out and get that tight victory on Friday to kind of feel like, okay, you know, we got one under our belt. We're good. Let's kind of dial it in on Saturday. I think this was really, if you want to talk about maybe, Uh, As important as the Miami series was, this felt like maybe the biggest statement game that the Huskies have had all season because it was, well, here's Miami who has been kind of meh over the past couple of years. Western Michigan has been anything but. They've been a good program in the past couple of seasons. They're on the road. It's conference play. We're we're getting into double digits and games played on the season, and St. Cloud took care of business on Friday night. They did. And, you know, I think was it first victory or first series sweep since 2019 inside of Lawson Arena? One of the two was correct. Um, again, it's not been a place that the Huskies go and, and come out usually in the upper hand. That's a great environment for a college hockey fan, the Lawson Lunatics. Again, you got to tip your cap to them. That's it's a fantastic building for a college hockey fan. So I do want to, you know, point that out that, you know, it's partly the fans that make it such a tough place to play. It's loud. It's a very intimate arena. And uh, let's just say that Western Michigan, and then we'll talk about Saturday's game, but I really feel like in both games, Noah, that they actually had controlled a lot of the gameplay. And you talk about character wins and you talk about, you know, trying to essentially crawl back with this one. Western Michigan had two, leads in this hockey game on Friday and St. Cloud did not, you know, say I always say, you know, lay over and play dead. They didn't. They fought back and then two quick goals in the third. And uh, just I know we've covered this team for a number of years, Noah, but this team is just so much better when they've got a lead. And you got the sense that when VD potted that go ahead goal early in the third, that yeah. the you could see this team almost exhale a bit that okay, we can breathe a little bit, right? And again, Western push, they're a great team. They've got a lot of skill up front. Um, and defensively, St. Cloud looked a lot better this weekend. You will touch on that. Obviously, probably in terms of a holistic picture a little bit later. But I really feel like, Friday, you talk about that win um, that would, shall we say, be the more important win. You mentioned it. It was Friday. Um, despite Miami's success, there's still a question mark into re- you know where that program is at. And after, you know, getting the sweep at home, it feels good, but it's like, okay, it's one weekend, it's two games, it's it's not anything bad to come away, come away with wins, but let's see this happen again on the road against a really good opponent, and they did get that victory on Friday. So I really do feel like you talk about a pivotal win, as you mentioned, that Friday was that, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that on Saturday... After you get that victory on Friday, just a much more comfortable feeling, not only for the guys in the locker room, but also, you know, the coaching staff feel like, okay, um, we feel like we found our game a little bit. We're starting to play better in terms of both ends of the ice. Um, now we can really feel like we can compete even with the best in the NCHC. Um, we can draw back the panic buttons a bit because I think now we're playing the hockey and the brand of St. Cloud State hockey that we've been trying to get to all season. Yeah, it was the Huskies who have lost, I think it's nine of their last 13 or 14 um, kind of since that last sweep in Kalamazoo. Like you mentioned, you were correct. March 1st and 2nd of 2019, 5-4 and 8-2 were the victories respectively in those games. It's been a long time. In fact, um, the last time the Huskies actually got a victory in Kalamazoo since that time, um, 
Yeah, well, interestingly enough, Nick, it doesn't exist. That is the last time. It was, okay. Huskies have uh, played a couple of tight hockey games uh, in that building, but uh, that was it. So St. Cloud, a very good statement. You mentioned it. I think they played a lot more relaxed uh, in that Saturday contest as a result, too. Uh, starting to feel a little more consistency in the lineup card, 3,700 yep. in attendance in this one. Huskies improved a 6-4 and four on the season, a 3 to nothing victory for them, despite being outshot 23-16. This was very much a blue-collar, very difficult to find the middle of the ice type of hockey game. In fact, in this contest, no team had double digits in shots in any given period. Huskies outshot 8-6, 9-6, 6-4, respectively. Not often you have a third period where the shots are 6-4, a 10 combined shots between the two clubs. St. Cloud, the lone scores on the man advantage this weekend, 1-5 for five in this one. Western Michigan, 0-5. for five. Fieti Mietnin on the power play in the first period, his seventh of the season. Boy, he continues to roll. Um, yes, he does. Very very much reminiscent of uh, his freshman season in the pod where he continued to kind of bring that natural scoring touch. I think that now it's almost like somebody who has, you know, found early success, got kind of kicked in the teeth a little bit and had to almost be like remolded and reborn a little bit the way that he plays the game. And now you're starting to see it come to, come to fruition for him in his senior season. Uh, Dylan Anhorn, Adam Ingram tallying assists that one with uh, just over four minutes left in period number one. And then a pair for the Huskies in period number two, Grant Sean, his first of the year, Joey Molinar, sixth of the season, uh, just about two minutes and change apart at the 1541 and 1754 mark. Warren Clark tallying an assist and Tynan Ewart. It's great to see both of those guys uh, tally assists, if I'm not mistaken. That should be Ewart's first point, I believe. Yeah, if I remember. I can't remember if he had one earlier, um, but certainly one of his first. And Zach Okabe, Werner, Miatnin tallying assist on Molinar's goal. Uh, Dominic Bassey saw all 23 shots that came his way, and the Huskies take a crucial six points out of Kalamazoo and the Huskies yep. now have 12 on the season atop the NCHC, Nick. Uh, if you were curious, by the way, too, uh, as far as, and we'll talk about the pairwise, but the Huskies massive jump for them. I mean, at least 10 yep. spots. Um, they are now up to 14 pairwise percentage uh, ticking at six, six, seven for now. So a much better showing for them in the past couple of weeks. In fact, uh, four teams in the top six team, as far as the NCHC is concerned, DU at four, North Dakota at seven, who's been much better than we expected. I still think, um, and CC is the 16th team in the country. Western Michigan drops down to 30, Miami at 36, UNO at 38, and Duluth is all the way down in 41 right now, so after a tough couple of weeks. But, Nick, this Saturday game, uh, this is a game where the Huskies, uh, you know, their bread and butter has been speed and skill. They seem to be a little bit more accustomed to a Western Michigan style esque game and being able to match the physicality, being able to kind of dig deep a little bit in the trenches. And you kind of wonder if maybe St. Cloud is going to become more of that team where historically we've seen them create on the rush, but now it might be a little bit more of they are going to be kind of that team that wins battles down in the corners along the half wall and then finds guys in the middle of the ice or they're able to create screens and uh, really put a premium on cycling and possession as far as that quick strike offense off of the rush and transitional play. When I think, you know, let's build on that, right, Noah, when you've got teams that have offensive talent like Western Michigan does, but let's not forget Denver. Let's not forget North Dakota, right? Uh, 
if all you're doing as an offense is running and gunning, getting one shot in, and then it's now a transition play back the other way, you're playing a lot more defense and more so their offensive guns and their weapons on your opponent are doing what they want to do. And that one is driving possession and now being on the offensive side of the puck, right? So I think if you're saying, Cloud, you look at the aggregate, you look at the macro look, and you say, how can we be effective in terms of shutting down some of their top players? But also more for us, how do we generate more from less, right? Um, And I think you do have to establish that cycle game. You do have to be a little bit more blue collar, get chipping the puck deep and then working as a unit and trying to recover pucks and then cycling the puck, getting it up high to your defenseman, stretching out, you know, the forwards up, you know, leaving some more room in the middle too. Right. So I, I think at the end of the day, when you look at the strategy as a whole, right, it's, yeah, it's great for your offense, but let's not forget. It's also great defensively too. On Saturday's game, I got a chance to watch uh, almost the entire second period as I was waiting for the game um, down in Aberdeen for the the Norsemen and the Wings. And I, I will say this, uh, Western Michigan was pushing quite a bit um, until the, the tipping goal by Grand Sean. At the end of it, the Huskies, yeah, they were defending a lot, but they looked comfortable. They looked like, shall we say, the Wild of 2003, where, you know, everybody was in the right spot. The, the shots were coming from distance. They're coming from sharp angles. And uh, let's just say that Dominic Bassey in the defensive core, A, there weren't many rebounds if there were any. And two, if there was, it was swept to a, a, an area where it wasn't going to be in danger anymore. So again, you're you're feeling this confidence. You're seeing that everything is starting to culminate together, right? And I feel like, yes, partly on offense, you're, you're expanding, so we say, the playbook, but it's more so overall general strategy. How do we make sure that the puck is on our stick? Because if it's with us, they can't hurt us. And you could definitely see towards the third, um, once St. Cloud got ahead 3 nothing, uh, Western Michigan, when they are a team that's chasing, it's not the style of game that they want to play. Because again, we talked about Pat Firstweiler. Yes, they got offensive skill. Uh, but the reality is they're not a team that's really built to come from behind. Um, and so I think, you know, going into this weekend, getting that lead and going into the final frame was huge. You could see that in the third, especially in Saturday's game. St. Cloud was very much a control and again, much more comfortable um, in terms of their defensive play as well. Yeah, chasing the game important. The Huskies five and three now when scoring first. They get their first victory of the season when they've gotten scored on first. One and one, only twice have the Huskies given up the first goal of the hockey game. So again, uh, and this is where we kind of talk about they've only been outshot three times this season. They're two and one in that regard. St. Cloud, when they've carried a lead after the first or second, they've been really good. Even when they've been tied, they've been almost 500 or better. So I... Getting out to a lead is important. The Huskies, 21% on the power play, 86% on the PK, both very serviceable numbers there, plus six goal differential for St. Cloud. Uh, They've not been outshot in any period except for overtime this season. Both games, of course, they lost in OT, so you know, say that what you will. Huskies almost plus 50 shots compared to their opponents. But, Nick, it really kind of feels like as you had kind of alluded to where some of these underlying numbers support the argument. And don't forget St. Cloud lost two one goal contests early on in the season, non-conference wise probably played well enough statistically to earn a victory against the Nanooks and maybe get a sweep. They're winners of five of their last six. There might've been some underlying numbers that as Brett Larson has alluded to in previous interviews that really kind of hadn't come to the surface as far as getting them some puck luck and giving them opportunities. So 
it's good to see them get rewarded over the past four or five, six hockey games, whatever it's been, and see that this team is not, you know, the panic mode <laughs> team yep. that maybe we thought of a couple of weeks ago. I think Huskies fans can breathe a little bit, but I think part of it is St. Cloud has been willing to kind of tweak their identity and they're actually getting back. And this is a very early comparison. So take it with a grain of salt. But one of the things they did exceptionally well, the year they went to the national championship game is when we use the phrase grease pan goals, it's more than just being around the front of the crease. It's you look at the redirect from a Sean, like you mentioned, these defensemen learning how to just get pucks through screens or at least filter pucks back down low, which then again contributes, if anything, to the cycle game, the possession game, the established zone time. I think St. Cloud being willing to simplify their game plan a little bit has allowed them to get players into the middle of the ice, just simple redirects, making life difficult for goaltenders, having to make the initial save, defenders having to pick up a rebound, guys crashing the crease. And then once you get used to going pound for pound against St. Cloud in that regard, their power play has suddenly been able to open up looks that you're not getting at five on five. And then those east-west cross-seam passes, those bumper plays down low that then get kicked to the middle or back door, then are suddenly available. And now all of a sudden the power play feels like it has more deadliness to it because you're not seeing those plays at five on five, but suddenly that extra man being missing on the defensive side, St. Cloud's opening up that ice surface wide open, especially at home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center where they've had opportunities. So um, I feel like it's a much more grittier blue collar style than St. Cloud historically has maybe played with the likes of Yami Kranla, Grant Cruikshank. But I think that them being forced to have to kind of play a little bit with the skill being a little bit more dispersed as opposed to having some go-to guys. I mean, Vietti Mietnan is going to be probably the guy this season, of course, but um, Barrett Hall's quickly becoming one of those players. But other than that, they've been really forced to kind of win by committee and it's yep. forced that gameplay style change. I think it's going to fit in very well in the rugged NCHC. This 4-0 start um, certainly felt like a pipe dream a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but it's been well earned, well rewarded. And I would say the week off three weeks ago probably couldn't have come at a better time given the past couple of weekends. We talked about that, right? No one that is, you know, sometimes those bye weeks when you're playing well come at the worst times when you're still trying to find your game, they come at the best times, right? And you do get the sense that St. Cloud needed that time to breathe, look at some film, uh, you know, go on the ice rink and practice a couple of things. And more so just, as you mentioned, just kind of sit back and, and just more relax a little bit, right? Um, you know, sometimes when you have a younger team and St. Cloud is in the midst of a bit of a transition, right? Um, you know, some of these names that we've talked about for years, like your Perbixes, your Cranolas, they're gone, right? They're off to play professional hockey or other opportunities thereof. And when you've got these younger players that come into the lineup, right? Um, there's no denying the skill that they have. Um, they got there for that reason. But how do they adjust to the speed of the game, the different systems that Brett Larson and his staff want you to play with, right? Sometimes it's a bit of a shock, right? Sometimes it's you, you got to sort of play your way through it, as, as Brett Larson would say. It's the growing pains. And I feel like now that we're in this four-game winning streak, it's more clear that Brett Larson was playing through the pain, if you want to call it, right? And to your point of winning by committee, you know, despite the fact that Vidim Yetnin has been the guy, he was sort of the guy the freshman year, right? You remember when he was potty nine, was it nine or 12 goals his freshman year, something yeah, like that? He's, he's got seven this season, the first one. Seven player. already, right? Yeah. And, uh, we're midway through November. 
But as time goes along, he's going to get more attention, right? Which means that someone else has got to step up. And if you you made a comparison to the national championship game earlier, I like that comparison because you do have to be able to win by committee if you're going to get to that frozen four, right? Um, over the past couple of seasons, we've talked about that identity fourth line. The Huskies really haven't had that. I'm not saying they have it this year, but it feels like they have more of a opportunity to have that where Brett Larsley can roll fourth line, uh, four lines on offense, excuse me. Um, also on the, on the back door, right? You have Lidke, you've got Jack Peart, you've got Dylan Anhorn, just to name a couple, right? Um, I, if you feel like this team, when they embody a committee type approach, right? And you have the skill that can maybe sort of pop out later, this team could ultimately become a very big sleeper slash dangerous frozen four pick. Now, granted, there's a lot of hockey to play, right? But um, now that we're here, as I've said before, you do get the sense that the first few weeks, yeah, a lot of new faces, some veterans are gone. We need to kind of, you know, find out which peg fits in which hole and to fill which role. I think now with the lineups that we've seen, it's been more consistent and we feel like who is going to be, on the ice when, in what situations. Um, there's still obviously things to clean up, but if you're a Huskies fan, not only do I feel like you have a sigh of relief, but going into the Bulldogs series coming up, I feel like now there's some confidence that you can go back home to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center and feel good about your chances to pull not one, but possibly two wins out of the weekend. Now, astute observers would notice, they would say, well, wait a minute, Nick, you guys just talked about hitting the nuclear alarm codes potentially a couple of weeks ago, and now we we're did. talking about this team potentially being maybe a frozen four candidate. What's the reason for the switch? And I think my argument would be, we felt like the team that we've seen the past couple of weeks is the team that we expected to see from the start of the season till now. It feels 100%. like they're playing into their potential that we believed in. So it wasn't, it wasn't, oh, well, now you guys have suddenly flipped the switch and now you believe that now the Huskies are an NCAA team and could be a Frozen Four team. No, we've always believed that. We were concerned they weren't playing to that level out of the gate. And now they've found four victories in the NCHC and now they've shown us a team that they, they are capable of being. Let's extrapolate that, right, Noah? That's a big word. Uh, <laughs> holy cow. Uh, I'm digging into the bag of tricks today. No, but you know, when you talk about individual skill sets, individual, shall we say, things that players do well, when you looked at this team on paper at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of, as you mentioned, potential. But in hockey, and I think this is true to hockey more than any other sport, the chemistry when you put everything together, whether you want to call it a puzzle piece, a blender, however you want to describe it, right? It's always sort of a wait and see what happens here, right? Because we've seen it in years past to those teams that are very good, right? Um, I don't think anybody really would have expected Quinnipiac to beat the Gophers in the national championship, right? Nonetheless, Quinnipiac to down Michigan, right? Um, St. Cloud losing to UMass, right? Yeah. At the end of it, you just never know when you put 20-some-odd players together on the ice, how their individual skill sets, their tendencies, their instincts, I think that's the bigger word, um, fit and mesh together, right? And I think it's taken a few weeks to figure that out. But part of a coaching staff's responsibility is to not only put players in the best position to succeed as an individual, but how do they complement each other as a you know three-person pairing up front, as a two-person defensive pairing, right? It's about how does it all mix together? It's almost like a chemistry project. I know that in the past... It's been the puzzle piece analogy, right? I almost want to think about chemistry in terms of, well, 
you know, what can we pour in the vial to give us the best result, right? And you do get the sense that Brett Larson, Dave Shayak, RJ Enga have figured out a formula here. And now not only are they getting the best out of their players' individual skill sets, but now it's benefiting the team's success. You do feel like they've gotten that figured out here early, which is great because, again, 100%, we were ready to hit the nuclear codes. I'll be the first one to say it. I was the one who said it because, again, you say, geez, right? You know, like it's frustrating to watch this team because you can see the snippets here and there of what they are potentially capable of. But then for whatever reason, they just aren't able to replicate that consistently on a shift-by-shift basis. Over the past couple of weekends, we've seen a more consistent roster being turned on the ice. We've seen, you know, players figuring each other out. You, you can see that the, you know, it's not a thought process anymore. Now it's becoming an instinctual thing on the ice. And when you can take away the thought process, not as a whole, but in terms of where is this guy going to be if I'm in this situation, right? When you just get the sense, it's a feeling you get um, when you're on the ice. I, I know it's hard to explain that. Um, as you, former you players, just, you right. start you start to play naturally. I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's not you're you're not you're not thinking about it because like the game of hockey, you're always thinking, but you're not thinking at all. It's when think when things are going poorly in the game, you're thinking. But that's all you're doing. When things are going well, you're not thinking at all. It comes yep. naturally. It, it just comes it, to it, you. It feels yep. like something that should be happening. This maybe is a good transition. We've got three things that we're going to hit before we end the show here, Nick. The first, of course, uh, Vietti Mietin paces this team, the first player to get to double digits in points, seven goals, four assists for him. Uh, he has 50 shots on net. The next closest player has 25 for the Huskies. So kind of gives you an idea of um, he's not afraid to shoot the puck with a 14% shooting percentage. Here's my question for you, Nick. We talk so much about guys like Vietti who we, we were kind of waiting for him to kind of break out and, and continue to you know become that player that we know he can be and be a more refined player. I have a guy in mind. I don't know if you're going to pick mine or not, but is there a player early on through this 10-game season so far that has really been your breakout guy so far, has been the guy that's been a pleasant surprise for you that's kind of stood out in a Husky sweater? I know a lot of people that go with Barrett Hall. No. Werner Mietnin, to me, is my guy. Um, I actually think that he is helping his brother, actually. Again, those two have been paired on the same line. Um, we asked Brett Larson if that was something that he would play with before the season started. And, and of course, in true Brett Larson's fashion, he didn't commit to it uh, preseason. But uh, that natural chemistry is there, right? Plus, there are players that play different two different styles. And I do feel like Werner, in terms of being a, a center, one, so he's got responsibilities yep. both in the offensive zone and more importantly, the, the defensive zone. But I feel like he's a guy that has gone in, whether it's the F1 or the F2, has won board battles, has won puck battles. And not only that, but he looks like he's patient, looks like he's not rushed. So a lot of freshman players, when they come in, regardless of their acumen and skill set, a lot of it is the puck's a hot potato, right? Um, where he looks very calm, he looks confident, he's making the right reads, the right plays. So to me, Baird Hall, he does, there's a lot of accolades for what he's done. But to me, Werner Mietnin, to me, is the more all-around player that I think has had the better success so far early in the season. Well, luckily enough, you didn't, neither of them, you didn't pick my player. Uh, for me, it's actually Joey Molinar. He's got six goals in the season, seven mm-hmm. points in the year. For him, I, I feel like he's always been a great skill-based player, but you go back to that national championship game a couple of years ago and how he was slotted into the lineup late in the year there. Yep. Um 
And he kind of had to learn what it was like to be a bottom six guy, good defensive responsibility. Of course, former, you know, success at the high school level, former state champion, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, now you've created this great 200 foot player that now is responsible on both ends of the ice. And now he's starting to be so defensively responsible that he puts himself in a great spot offensively to put pucks in the net. And he's got six goals in the season. 24% is his shooting percentage, a team best. Um, You know, that just speaks volumes about the fact that he's been a top six guy. He's been really impressive to me. I love the way he plays. I I think uh, for someone who, of course he can play singer, uh, can play center, but also plays wing quite a bit too. Just great responsibility, regardless of position to make sure you're a winter. You know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just I'm just here for the long haul. But he, he he's really impressed me. Uh, Dominic Bassi, a nine twelve save percentage. He started to kind of come back in the aggregate and be able to be effective as well too. So, like you mentioned, before we take a look at the pairwise here, St. Cloud a fairly favorable schedule to cap off the calendar year, especially coming out of the holiday break. Uh, they've got Duluth next weekend, Michigan over the Thanksgiving break. Uh, they've got a weekend off before having Omaha and then Christmas break before Bemidji state rounds out the calendar year of 2023. Nick this, I mean, Bemidji state, you would hope the Huskies could take care of coming out of the holiday break. Omaha is going to be a mixed bag. I I think that one could go either way. This Duluth team, just depending on how they've been the past couple of weeks, I think the Huskies definitely have a chance to take both against them. Michigan will be a tough series. There's no doubt about that. But I would say as far as conference play is concerned, um, and pairwise for the most part, St. Cloud has a chance to, um, I mean, you've got eight games coming up here. I would say at least probably take six out of eight. I think yeah. would be would be definitely doable. If you get seven, that's highly successful, and you would feel good about that. I think St. Cloud is capable of that. I think they're capable of handling this Bulldogs team next weekend. I think so. Uh, as Saint, uh, I should say, yeah, St. Cloud has been, shall we say, better on both sides of the puck than UMD. Uh, remember, uh, the Bulldogs came out scoring a heck of a lot of goals, but also giving up a bunch. And now they cannot score, and they're still giving up a decent chunk of goals. Right. So this UMD squad. Although in the past we've said, just wait, they'll figure it out. Uh, over the past couple of years, it just doesn't feel like UMD is the same type of, shall we say, squad that you have the same confidence that they're going to figure it out. And I'm not sure if it's just, you know, the different players they have in the roster or, or more importantly, who is in between the pipes. It's not a guy, either Hunter Shepard or Ryan Fanti. I think actually that's got a lot to do with it. And also some of the, uh, shall we say, the the stalwarts on defense, you're missing guys like Wyatt Kaiser, Scott Perunovich, some of those really good NHL-level talents. They don't necessarily have that over the past couple of years, so I think that's hurt them a bit. So again, St. Cloud favored in that, and I just I feel like just up and down the ring, St. Cloud's just a better team. Yeah, I would certainly agree. I think over the past couple of weeks, we picked Duluth to finish seventh in the NCHC, and it's they're really struggling right now. And I think that Cornell series really kind of put them on their back heels, uh, and it just has been really difficult for them. And the Huskies hopefully can take advantage. Final point here, top 20 in the pairwise, Harvard, Michigan, Dartmouth, Cornell round out Have here. Have played a game yet? Uh, they've actually played five of them. Um, oh, okay. Because normally uh, they have them like in a top 10 and they haven't even played a single game yet. So, okay. Would you like to know that they're 1-1-3? One, one, and three? Anyway. Um, they, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Not shocking. <laughs> Mich- Michigan at 19, Dartmouth at 18, Cornell at tied for 16. They're the technically 17th team right now. Your top 16, Colorado College, Arizona State, St. Cloud, um, 
Michigan State, Minnesota, UMass outside the top 10. Number 10 is Alaska Fairbanks right now. I, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, yeah. BU, New Hampshire, uh, North Dakota, Providence, BC round out everybody outside of your number one seeds, your top four, Denver, Wisconsin, Maine, and Quinnipiac respectively. So we're still a little bit too early, but it's fun to kind of take a look at as things continue to sort themselves out. But uh, Nick, Parting thoughts, the Huskies have a chance to take care of business against Duluth. Uh, and, and not only that, uh, on the women's side of things, too, uh, the women have a chance against the St. Thomas team that on paper, I mean, they they should have an opportunity to handle somewhat readily. Uh, you like to not give the Tommies their first conference victories of the season. Of course, that Saturday game for the women's program will be at 1 o'clock Central Time at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Friday's game, of course, is going to be in St. Thomas. And go to Heights, yep. Yep, and then uh, um, for the Duluth games, those will both be at the Granite City in St. Cloud. So Duluth, Friday night, 7.30 Central, 6 o'clock Central on Saturday, and also the Michigan games the following weekend will also be at 6.30 and 5 o'clock on the 24th and 25th, that Friday, Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. So Huskies have a four-game homestand. you love to see them make the most of it. Right, and, and, and I think if there's one thing for the men's side especially, right, Noah, that you hope does not happen is now that they've won four straight, start to feel comfortable when I, and you know, because in the NCHC, it's a, it's a dog fight, no pun intended every single weekend. Uh, And now that St. Cloud has found their legs, you don't want them to start getting it over their heads a little bit, right? It's still going to be a tough battle. UMD plays a hard style. Um, They haven't, shall we say, rolled over in these games that they've lost. So don't go into it thinking that the game is over before it starts, right? So make sure you're focused, be ready to play. Uh, Historically, St. Cloud, when they've been in this position, have had tendencies in the past to start a little bit slow. Um, We've seen what UMD can do if you give them some room, right? They have had guys that come out and score big time. Watch out. uh, His name is Ben Steves, especially (laughs) if it's on the power play. So at the end of it, don't get too ahead of yourself. Treat this again like you are... Two weeks ago, you want to still continue to find a way to get better and come out and try to make kind of prove yourself right on the women's side. As you mentioned, um, on paper, they should handle business. And I know with Idolski there, he's not going to overlook any single opponent. Um, he wants to get back in the wing column again. I, I think we talked about it last week. Felt like he probably left some points on the board against Wisconsin. So he definitely wants to get that team rolling back in the one column again. Uh, so I'm not as concerned with them. I think they'll be fine. But again, St. Thomas, although their record maybe not indicative of how good they are, they're still going to give you fits. And uh, St. Cloud will still have to play a very solid game against the Tommies at the home and home this next weekend. Yeah, they've St. Thomas has played a couple of close games. Huskies 9-4 and four on the women's side, sitting in fifth place in the WCHA. On the men's side, St. Cloud atop. The division in the NCHC, uh, St. Cloud 6-2-0-2 on the season for the men as they get ready to take on Duluth. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. one-timer coming, they score!
away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.